Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. When I say, how am I going to feel about this problem? you know, six months from now, what that does is it makes it clear to me that whatever I'm experiencing, it will in all likelihood get better because most things do. And that gives me hope. And that hope can be a powerful way of broadening our perspective too. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 346. Today, we're talking about how to befriend the voice in your head with Dr. Ethan Cross. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. I am so glad you are here today. Hey, listen, if you haven't uh, done so yet, please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you've ever gotten any value from this podcast, just do me a quick favor. Go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. It, It just helps the podcast grow more, feeds our algorithm. It takes 10 seconds. I really would greatly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. In just a moment, I am going to be sitting down with Dr. Ethan Cross, author of the national bestseller, Chatter, The Voice in Our Head and Why It Matters and How to Harness It. He's a professor of psychology and management and organizations at the University of Michigan, and he is the director of the Emotion and Self-Control Laboratory. So we are talking to the expert on how how to manage that voice in our head. And it's fascinating. And we're going to talk about like, why do we have that in our voice, right? We're going to talk about his benefits and the pitfalls. And we're going to talk also about some really great practical tools to harness your inner voice to combat anxiety, improve your physical health, your mental health, make your relationships better, and more. Before we dive in, I want to let you know that the enrollment is open for the Mindful Parenting Teacher Training Program. This is the last program of 2022 that will be doing it. It's a very small group program. It might be for you if you want to bring the Mindful Parenting course to your community. You know, perhaps you're a Like you could be a teacher, a therapist, a doula. Maybe you're just super passionate about parenting. You've listened to every single one of these podcasts. 
then you might be perfect for the Mindful Parenting Teacher Training Program. It's a five-month intensive program, can be done from anywhere around the world, and gives you literally everything you need to bring mindful parenting to your community. So to learn more and apply to the program, go to mindfulparentingcourse.com teach. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com teach. Now join me at the table as I talk to Dr. Ethan Cross. I really am excited about your book. I'm, I'm fascinated by the brain and attention. And you talk about the voice in our head, which we have so many issues with. So, and I would love to like, just start off with the question of like, why, why do we talk to ourselves? Why? Can you tell us about the purpose of this? Yeah, no, thank you for, for starting us off with that question. I think it's a great one because I think so many of us instantly think about the negative side of the voice in our head. Oh my God, there it goes again. You know, the inner critic is unleashed or I'm ruminating. But the truth is we evolve this capacity to talk to ourselves because it serves us well um, in many different contexts. So when I use the term inner voice, what I'm talking about is our ability to silently use language to reflect on our lives. And it turns out that that's, that's a kind of superpower that we possess that lets us do many, many different things. I like to think about our inner voice as a type of Swiss army knife of the human mind. And so let me walk you through a couple of the, the positive features it provides for us. At the most basic end of the spectrum, your inner voice lets you keep information active in your head. So I don't know about you, but I often will be tasked to go to the grocery store and will inevitably forget what my partner told me to buy. And so I'm walking down the aisle and halfway through, I'm like, oh, what did my wife tell me to get? And then I rehearse the list, eggs, milk, cheese. That's me using my inner voice. We use our inner voice to keep small bites of verbal information active in our head. So if I asked you to repeat a phone number in your head, memorize it, you'd be using your inner voice. And we rely on our inner voice for that purpose all the time. That is a very basic um, thing we do, right? Like we try to keep information active in our heads. So that's one thing your inner voice lets you do. It also helps us simulate and plan like before a big presentation or an interview or a date, people will often rehearse what they're going to say in their head. Uh, I sometimes take this to an extreme. I'll I'll rehearse what I'm going to say during a presentation. Then I'll imagine what the most obnoxious audience member could possibly <laughs> ask me. And then I'll respond to them, usually quite aggressively. I'm much more aggressive in my in my head than I am in real life. You're like, zing, gotcha. That's right. I, I, I'll say the things I wish I would say in person, but would never have the audacity to do. But you know, that's a, that's a, that's a tremendous capacity, this ability to simulate and plan how we're going to behave, what we're going to say. We use our inner voice to do that. We use our inner voice to, to coach ourselves along when we're trying to exercise self-control. So when I'm exercising, I'll count down how many reps I have left and motivate myself. Come on, you know, three more sets. And then you get to go have breakfast, right? I'm talking to myself as I do that. And then finally, and this is you know, if I had to choose between my favorite functions of the inner voice, this last one I'm going to tell you about is probably my favorite. Our inner voice lets us tell stories about our lives that give shape to our understanding of who we are. So, you know, we experience events that we don't really understand. Like, why did that person say this to me? Or, you know, why was my kid excluded from that activity? When that happens, we tend to turn our attention inward to make sense of that, those experiences and, and essentially create stories that, that give us a sense of understanding why this occurred. And your inner voice helps you do that. It helps storify our life. And those stories, those, those really speak to our, our sense of self. They help shape our, our sense of who we are. So keeping information active in your heads, planning, controlling yourself, storytelling, your inner voice helps you do all of those things. You would not want to live life without one. And yet there is this dark side, which is the negativity bias, right? You're like, we know, right? Totally. We, you know, adversity strikes, we turn our attention inward and we don't come up with very elegant stories and solutions to our problems. Instead, we, we start spinning, we ruminate, we worry, we catastrophize, which is what I call chatter. And that's, that's really the dark side of the inner voice. And I think that's a, a big problem that we all struggle with. And the good news is that there's a lot of science that, gives us tools to manage that chatter when it strikes. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting because, you know, we're the, the brain, like we have, so, you know, we have the animate body, like we have all those senses. And then we have this conscious mind that feels like it's almost like on top of this animate body. Right. And the conscious mind is telling all these stories to kind of make sense of what's happening in the body. I mean, do you, there's all those like twin studies, right. Where the, they talk about like how the conscious mind is like making up a story to, to make sense of the world is that's part of the, this whole process, right. Of, of just sort of storytelling and meaning making. Yeah. We're, 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 we're we are, you know, storytelling machines. There's a famous quote. Um, uh, actually it's, it's from the Nietzsche, the philosopher, but uh, one of my favorite authors, Victor Frankl, um, mm-hmm. who wrote man's search for meaning. Um, quoted Nietzsche in describing what allowed him to get through being a prisoner in a concentration camp during World War II after his family was slaughtered. And he says, he who has a why to live for can deal with any how. Mm. And, And the idea is if you can find a story and find that purpose in our experiences, that can be really remarkable for allowing us to persevere through all sorts of, of atrocities. And there's a lot of research which shows that we tend to just navigate the world on autopilot and we just, you know, we, we, we experience things. And then we, when we stumble on events or experiences that we have difficulty understanding, we stop and we try to make sense of it. Oh, what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we start activating the storytelling machine in our mind that is so remarkably useful for allowing us to make sense of the world you know, we could learn from our experiences and then move on. The problem is that sometimes that story-making apparatus and the inner voices involved in it, sometimes it it breaks down. And, and that's when the chatter arises. And when the storytelling machine breaks down, we just freeze. We, we often just keep on struggling to get it to work. But that ends up sometimes digging ourselves into a, a greater hole than it does helping ourselves out. Or it's even like digging its heel, you know, it's like spinning its wheels, right? Like that would be kind of what ruminating is in some ways. Totally. I mean, I, sometimes I think about, so my, I, when I started a mindfulness meditation practice up until that point in my life, I started when I was uh, a study practice when I was 27, finally, after 10 years of reading about it (laughs) and, um, and uh, up until that point, I had all these, you know, I would go into these, uh, you know, it's just emotionally like kind of highly sensitive. Right. And I would go into sort of these pits, uh, every week or two. And I, I, and then after I started my mindfulness practice, I didn't fall into those pits every Mm -hmm. week or two. It was really a remarkable difference for me, uh, uh, a real game changer for me. And as I thought about it and I've reflected on over the years, like, what was it? And I think that, I mean, it's not like, I have all the stressors, all the feelings, all the anxieties, all the different things that happen, but I'm not sure that I spin my wheels in the same way I used to, like, as far as the ruminating, as far as like, I start to notice, oh, this is, this is not a productive way of thinking. And I'm able to stop it and change my mind and refocus on the present moment or let that go or whatever it is. Right. And and is this is this is where you're you're talking about like the danger of chatter, right? Or the difficulty of chatter is like how, why why it makes us suffer. Is this, is this what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, bravo to you for finding a solution to it. I love what you the way you just described your experience because, I, you know, I think nowadays we often have these goals out these goals that society gives us. You know, that I think are unattainable and in some ways not really. Um, functional, this idea that we should always be living a life free of any kind of negative experience, just, just experience positivity. Like A, I don't think it's possible. B, uh, what that directive misses is the fact that negative emotions in small doses are really, really useful, right? Experiencing a small ping of anxiety before a big event, this is helpful. There's Tons of research which shows that that can energize us, lead us to prepare more effectively. Likewise, you know, experiencing some anger when you are threatened is is not a bad thing. This this we evolve this capacity to experience negative emotions for a reason. What makes the negative emotions toxic, and I, I use that term um, not liberally, but I mean truly toxic for our health, for our relationship, for ability to think and perform is when the negative emotions go up and then remain elevated over time. And that's exactly what the chatter or the rumination or the worry, you could choose your favorite phrase, 
What chatter refers to is getting stuck in this cycle of negative thinking and feeling. You keep on harping on the experience that is causing you to feel upset to try to solve it, but you don't come up with those solutions. And in the process, as you said, you just dig your heels in further and further. Now, I don't, I think the key to managing chatter is not to rid yourself of any negative emotion, right? The key is figuring out what to do when those, when you sense that the chatter is beginning to percolate. And there are lots of tools that exist to help people nip it in the bud. The moment you can sense it coming on the horizon, it sounds like you've discovered several tools that work for you. I know that I use a bunch of these science-based tools and they really help me as well. It's not that I never find myself on the precipice of worrying or ruminating. Sometimes I could see it coming, but I then have, I have a plan. I know exactly what I should do in those instances to nip it in the bud. And, and I think that's a really valuable resource to have. And one of the reasons yeah, I wrote the book. I'm excited. I'm excited to go over the tools, but we're going to like hold those back for a minute because there are some really cool tools here, but, um, but I, I love this. And I just was, as you're talking about this idea of worry, I was having this, I just wanted to share with you. I was having this conversation with my husband this morning. He's reading a book about worry, apparently, where they're postulating that the, that worry, a lot of it maybe may have come out more during when we stopped being hunter-gatherers and moved into agricultural uh, society as humans, because then we would have to think ahead, right? We have to plan ahead more and think ahead more and, and kind of like do rather than living more day to day as a hunter gatherer, which is like a, a fascinating, I think, kind of like way to, to kind of to consider this. But you have, you have, um, you, I, I want to go into a little bit about like what brought you into this because you have a really interesting, um, it, it seems like you have a kind of an interesting relationship with sort of these thoughts in your head um, from when you were little, because you had a dad who really encouraged you. You said you wrote, he encouraged you to go inside if you had a problem and to ask yourself the question, which is such a cool thing. It's not, I don't think everybody's dad gave us that, <laughs> that, that instruction. Can you tell us about like, how old were you when he started to, uh, when he started to tell you, ask you to go inside to, to fi figure out your problems? Yeah, I think it was really, it's cool in retrospect when it was happening. I don't know that I would have You were probably that. super annoyed. <laughs> I was mortified. Um, so uh, from the time I was about three years old, my dad, who oh my gosh, wow. was a really, yeah, colorful character. So like on the one hand, non-college grad, never held down a job for too long, watched the Yankees religiously, had a potty mouth when he was driving on the road, curse other drivers out. So it was just like this you know, voluble kind of guy, very loud, big, bushy mustache, thick Brooklyn accent, except when we were at home, he'd be like reading Eastern philosophy, um, you know, That's the great. Bhagavad Gita, Yoga Sutras, autobiography of a yogi and meditating and talking to me as a little kid about everything he was reading. And, and so one of the first you know lessons he gave me was when something's bugging you, go inside. He, you know, he's very corny in retrospect. I love him dearly, of course, but he would say, he would say things like find the kernel, which was shorthand for the <laughs> kernel of truth, you know, for a kid. <laughs> but, but essentially the, the, the message was pretty clear, um, you know, introspect and use your mind to try to solve the issues that you're struggling with, find the answer within and, and really tap into that inner voice to help you do it. And that was a, a skill that I really value him, him impressing upon me from a young age. Um, I used it throughout my childhood and adolescence. Whenever I'd get into an argument or I'd ask a girl on a date, they'd say, no, I go inside. I wouldn't really sulk about it. I'd move on to another girl, ask them out. They'd say, no, that cycle would keep on repeating and it was fine. Like I never got really stuck. And then I got to college and Took, a, took my first psychology class. And what I learned was on the one hand, this, this tool my dad had really given me was something that a lot of people, of course, used and benefited from in their lives. This ability to introspect. It's a remarkable feature of the human mind that mm -hmm. lets us do all sorts of amazing things like innovate and create and solve problems and learn from our mistakes. Except a lot of the time, this tool that we possess gets us into serious, serious trouble. It makes it hard for us to think and perform when we start ruminating and worrying as opposed to finding clear solutions. And so 
that ended up being a real, um, a real puzzle for me. Why is it that we have this ability to use this voice to work through problems and do these mar- remarkable things, but but oftentimes it gets the best of us in in pretty pretty profoundly negative ways. And so I went to grad graduate school to figure out how to use the tools of of science and neuroscience to to weigh in on that question. All right. So we want to we want to be able to deal with we want to appreciate it as a tool. Okay, the chatter, the inner, the ability to introspect, rather than demonize it and and say that it's the source of all our misery, <laughs> um, even though it may be causing some suffering. So it, it can have the it can be a powerful tool both both for you know positive benefit and but can also cause cause people suffering. What are what are some of the ways that our chatter uh, causes us suffering? And then let's start to like talk about some of those tools. Sure. Um, I'll break down the, the, it's, you know, you think of this as like the negative triad, the ways in which chatter can, can do us in. I think it's one of the big problems we face as a, as a culture. And the reason for that is we know on the one hand, when we experience chatter, it makes it really hard for us to think and perform thinking and performance. These are things we care a lot about. And just to give listeners, uh, you know, a couple of concrete examples there. One way that chatter makes it hard for us to think is, um, you know, just think about a time when you tried to read a couple of pages in a book and you read the words, you get to the end of the passage, but you, you don't remember anything that you've ever read. Has this ever happened to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that happened to be like reading a storybook to my daughter at bedtime. You know, I'm like, I read the words out loud and then was like, oh, what did I just read? Where exactly. Are what are Frog and Toad doing? <laughs> You know, I, I, I've asked this question to literally tens of thousands of people, and I never get hands that don't go up in response to this example. And no. so what's happening there is no. we only have so much attention that we could focus on something at any given moment in time. And if all of your chatter is consumed, all of your attention is consumed by your chatter, it doesn't leave a whole lot left over to do the things that we often need to do to be successful in life or to be good partners or parents, right? We're not being present for our kids because our mind is somewhere else. So that's one way that chatter undoes us in thinking. The other thing it can do is something called paralysis by analysis. It can lead us to engage in that. And what that's all about is this. A lot of the things that we do in our lives are complicated behaviors that we've learned to string together over time and then execute without thinking. So hmm. when I when I give public speeches, you know, I'll, I'll pace a stage, I'll use my hands, I'll gesticulate, I'll 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 make sure to um, look around the room and smile. I'm doing lots of different things. I'm varying my vocal tone. I'm not thinking about all of those individual elements of the performance. I'm just hmm. doing them. I've learned how to string them together without thinking. What chatter leads us to do is zoom in very narrowly on the things we're worried about or ruminating about. And so if I'm experiencing chatter about my ability to perform in this context, what I end up doing is I start thinking as I'm talking, am I moving my hands enough? Am I smiling sufficiently? And once you start hyper-focusing on the individual elements of a behavior, the whole thing unravels. We saw this happening um, happen on a grand scale this past summer in the Olympics when Simone Biles dropped out oh, yeah. because of what she called the twisties, which is another name for chatter. You know, here you have an athlete who is capable of doing these unbelievably complex routines. And what really threw her in a way that led her to drop out was she, as she's doing these performances, she's thinking about the individual elements. Am I twisting enough? Do I have enough momentum? And that can be really dangerous for a gymnast because when you start zooming in on the individual pieces of the behavior, that makes it hard to execute without thinking. So that's how chatter does us in, in the thinking and performance domain. And that's pretty bad, but that's not all it does. Um, it also creates friction in our relationships with others. Uh, and there's a few ways it does that. We already talked about one. It can remove us from the conversations we have with others because we're not present when they're telling, talking to us. I, I mean, I wish I could say I've never had the experience of sitting at the dinner table with my kids who want nothing more than to share their day with my wife and I. They literally compete 
to see who can who can tell me tell us first what happened to them. Uh, even if nothing happened to them, by the way, they still want to go first. Just to um, yeah, and uh, you know you probably know how that. Yeah, is. yeah, you got to hear the whole storyline of like even the My Little Pony show or whatever it is. Yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. Um, there'll be times when my mind's somewhere else. Um, you know, I'm 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 consumed with something, and they get to the end of telling me about the day, and then I'll turn to them. And be like, so what happened today? <laughs> at which at which point they're not very happy, and I get elbowed from my wife, uh, who by the way is much better at doing at not doing that than I am. Uh, but that's one way it can interfere with our relationships. Mm-hmm. We also know that when we experience chatter, we often want to talk to other people about it to get support. But one of the problems is. We find people to talk to and then we keep on talking about it over and over and over again because it still percolates in our mind. And that can have a really tragic consequence of pushing away people who really care about us, but can only take so much before we start to bring them down. And so that's how you get um, chatter predicting um, the kind of disintegration of relationships and people feeling rejected and lonely as a result as well. So that's the relationship domain. And then the last thing is it it interferes with our physical health. The effects of chatter, you know, they penetrate beneath the skin in the sense that what chatter does is it takes a negative experience that isn't harmful per se, and it prolongs that negative experience, right? Because we don't just experience the the transgression or the worry, the worrisome event, and then leave it behind, but we keep on replaying it over and over in our head. And that exerts a wear and tear on the body that over time predicts things like, cardiovascular disease, problems of cancer and inflammation. So thinking, performance, relationships, health, these are these are domains of life that I think many of us care a lot about and chatter address uh, attacks them all. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's everything there. You know, those are our relationships, our everything we're doing. You know, it, it's interesting. And those are some of the things that like attracted me to mindfulness, obviously, you know, and I heard, I mean, you I heard a story once of uh, like some kind of monk who had been out in Thailand and meditating and, 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 and he had to, he told the story and he had to, uh, like a tooth that was like having a problem, but he was on like a, who knows how long retreat, like by himself in this like month, this in Thailand. And he told the story about how he, he walked down to the shed and he pulled his own tooth and the way the way you described it was as I walked down to the shed, I was present just walking. 
I wasn't anticipating pulling the tooth. And it's so, it's so to me, that's like incredibly hard to believe, but you know, I know that there's like these extreme abilities of people. Right. And this ability to sort of be present and keep your attention in the present moment and not necessarily on the chatter. And then while he pulled it, right, it hurt. And then when he walked away, you know, it just is so fascinating to think that there is that ability, but that's not realistic for the rest of us. I don't think I'm ever going to like, I don't really have major hopes of like completely eliminating my chatter. Um, and that's fine. It's okay. I'm happy with just sort of living more peacefully. So, you know, the, you, the listener, you know, you've heard me talk about mindfulness is what is definitely a tool to, to, to help us handle this. And, but you, Ethan have a lot of other tools that don't involve sitting quietly and watching your breath, which isn't that appealing to everybody. <laughs> that, that's right. You know, I think my, I'm, so another part of my, my history with my dad is, you know, going along with his interest in Eastern philosophy, where the contemplative practices that many, Eastern philosophical traditions um, really created and and disseminated for the world. And so uh, when I was five years old, I did not get what I wanted for my birthday, which was a new bicycle. Instead, I got a mantra. And so I learned how to meditate. That's right. You know, so you could see the the color to my dad. Um, So I have enormous respect for the value of mindfulness. I've meditated on and off throughout my life. I've done research on, on it as well. Uh, I think mindfulness and meditation is one very effective tool for helping people with their chatter. What I think we sometimes get wrong in our attempts to really just give very simple, quick fixes to people is suggesting that that is the only tool. Mm. Because what we know is that there's a much broader toolbox of, of skills out there that people can benefit from. And my feeling is why limit anyone to Mm, any mm. specific tool. This is such a pernicious problem. So let's give people the entire toolbox and then let's figure out what are the combinations of tools that work best for people. It's not always possible to sit down and meditate for five to 15 minutes. Like, how are you going to do that right before, you know, you've got to go on stage? Maybe there are, you know, some breath work you could do, but, but there are just many, many more resources that exist. And we actually have some research that we just finished performing on anxiety surrounding COVID-19. Mm. And this is you know still in the pipeline. It's not published yet, hopefully soon. But what we found was the people who fared best through the pandemic in terms of their anxiety levels were people who used multiple combinations of healthy tools. They didn't limit themselves to just mindfulness or just you know any of the other tools I talk about in the book. It was people who used four or five tools mm. in combination those were the ones who experienced the the largest dips in their anxiety level. And I think there's a really important message there that is somewhat different from the message we often hear in, in popular culture about how to manage our, our mind. Um, so, so yeah, I'm a fan of the tool, this toolbox approach, give people lots of different skills and, and then help people figure out which ones work best for them. I talk about, uh, I think 26, different tools in in the book. And one way to think about them is there are lots of tools that you can use on your own, ways of shifting your thinking or behavior that science shows can have um, helpful consequences for your chatter. Then there are people tools, ways of interacting with other people in specific ways that can help you. Their caveat there is that not every way of other people can be a really powerful asset or a liability when it comes to our chatter. And that's another, another, I think, really important take home, right? Just talking about what you're feeling isn't always sufficient for getting better when it comes to our chatter. Well, I mean, it's so interesting, even when you talked about that before, because the idea that, right, like part of, you know, the therapeutic model, for instance, is like you talk about some issues and so you are able to sort of process them out loud and the ideas that that helps you heal from them. But we also know that some people get mired in their, like, like you said, like mired in their issues. And it's like, how do, how do we know the difference between whether we're processing something in a healthy way, or we're kind of like rehashing this anger again and again? I mean, we, I, we know that like specifically things like anger can be, sometimes it's not helped by like going and 
expressing that anger, right? Like it can make it worse, but sometimes it is. So how do we know when it is and helpful and when it isn't? Yeah, I think this is, um, I, I really enjoyed reviewing this research when I was, when I was writing, when I was writing chatter. Um, there's been a lot of work addressing this question. And I think they're very clear take-homes, but they're not always conveyed. So we often hear that when you're experiencing chatter, when you're really angry or anxious or sad about something, what you should do is find someone to, to express your emotions, to just vent those feelings, get it out. This was an idea that dates back to Aristotle and it was popularized by Freud. And there's been a lot of research looking to see, does it actually help people with their chatter? And the answer to that question is a resounding no. What venting your emotions does um, is it it, en it enhances the friendship and relational bonds between two people. So it feels good to know that you and I are now, we're now friends. We have common roots. We talked about before we got on, on the show, I can call you up if I'm struggling with something and share my emotions with you. It feels good to know that you're there willing to listen to me. But if all I do is tell you about what's driving me nuts, right? Oh, you wouldn't believe what this other person said to me. And they, this email is totally ridiculous. And then you, yeah, that sounds awful. I would have been really upset too. How'd you feel? And we go back and forth like that. What that does is makes me feel great about our relationship, but I leave the conversation just as upset as when I started. Because all we've done is keep those negative thoughts active and alive in my mind. We've essentially engaged in what scientists call co-rumination. We've been ruminating about a problem together. And it turns out that that can predict lots of negative outcomes over time. So what is the solution? Well, the solution is not that you don't want to express your emotions at all. It is important to share what you've gone through a little bit with the person you're talking to. It's useful for them to get a sense of what you're going through. It's useful for the person who has the problem to know you care. But at a certain point in the conversation, the person you're talking to ideally starts starts nudging you to try to look at the bigger picture, right? Mm. The other the other people in our life are in this ideal position to help us work through and reframe how we're thinking about our problems because our problems are not happening to them. They've got objectivity. So if you came to me with a problem, I take some time to listen and hear you out. And then at some point where I see an opening in the conversation, I'm like, well, you know, this happened to me once before. Here's how I dressed, I, I dealt with this. Or, um, well, you've dealt with this before. How, how did you deal with this in the past? Or how do you think you could you can manage this effectively? Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.
Given yeah, let's not just get into a complaining fest. That's so interesting because so in mindful parenting, I teach one of the classic communication tools, which is like reflective listening, like helping to, because parents, a lot of us as parents, we tend to like go to, let me just solve your problem immediately. Right. And we skip yes. over that step of, I see you and I hear you and I want, and I that's essential problem and that's essential. Right. But then we don't want to get stuck there. Right. We can offer this perspective. It's interesting because it makes me think of like, I don't know, sometimes like I get, I get really frustrated with situations. Like if you go to the, go to the bus stop and you meet somebody I don't know very well. And there's a lot of people out there who try to kind of like bond and make small talk by complaining, like that bonding by complaining drives me yeah. bananas. I hate that. Yeah. Like, cause I don't want to live in your complaints. Like stay off, stay off social media. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but, but that co-rumination is not, it's maybe making a relationship, but it's not. And th- yes. And that is why it's so it's so hard to deal with because there's just this seductive allure to co-ruminating because it feels good to be, to be um, connecting with someone else over this misery that we're spewing. Like it, it does feel good sometimes to complain together about something with someone else. The problem is that, okay, you feel good about your relationship, but it doesn't help you deal with the problem. And so what you want to do is, is two things. You want to do a little bit of that venting and expressing, and then switch into the the problem-solving perspective broadening mode. Um, Now, there is an art to doing this well. And as like, I'm a scientist, I don't usually talk about art. I I like objectivity, but there is art because we're all different and we're dealing with chat over different kinds of experiences. And so what I mean by art is this, like sometimes my wife will come to me with some chatter to talk to me about it and she'll start, you know, just venting a little bit. And I listen, oh, it's terrible. I'm really actively engaged with her, empathizing. And then at a certain point in the conversation, I'll say, totally get it. Hey, can I, I, I got a thought. Can you, you want me to share it with you? And sometimes she'll just like, look at me like, no, I'm not done. Just keep listening. And, <laughs> and then she'll keep going. And okay. I take, I, I come back later on and try to get into the advice giving mode at other points in the other conversations. You know, I'll, I'll see the opening. I'll go for it, and I'm like, "Hey, can I, can I offer you a suggestion?" I'm like, "Yes, please. This is exactly why I'm talking to you." So you want to feel that out. But the value here is knowing about the science here, knowing that there's these two phases to mm. giving good, to getting good support for your chatter. What that does for us is two really important things. Number one, it allows us to be deliberate about who we talk to about our chatter. Who do you seek out support from? There are many people in my life that I am exceptionally close to. I'm I'm related to them, okay? I don't talk to them about my chatter because I know it's nothing nothing on their part like they want to help. They just aren't going to do it well because they're just going to get me to vent about it. And I don't want to be in that position. So I think really carefully, who are the people in my life that I could turn to for chatter support when it comes to relationship problems, as opposed to, mm-hmm. um, you know, professional issues. And I've got like three or four people for the personal stuff, five or six for the work stuff. That is, it's kind of like having a, my own personal board of advisors that mm-hmm. I can go to when I'm experiencing any chatter. And it is an invaluable tool. It really serves me well. So that's one take home. The other take well, home. Yeah, well, I, I want to just offer to the listener like this. I just want to go back to, we had an episode with uh, Aaron Huey, the director of the Fire Mountain Center for kids who are struggling with like suicide and drug issues. And his number one advice to parents to not get their kids into his center was to have exactly what you're describing, right? Is to like, just have friends, like have time away from your kid, like have other places to sort of vent and process and all those things that you're describing in a healthy way. And that ability to do that and then be present, you know, for your kid and whatever, that's was his number one advice, even for this like incredibly challenging cases. So anyway. I just yeah. Wanted- I mean, that, that's wonderful consistency. And, and so then the question, so how, you know, like, but who should your friends go to, to have those friends, right? Like this gives you a way to think about who to speak to, to build that really useful board. Um, 
And then the other thing is uh, knowing about the science, I think it puts us all in a better position to be better advisors to others, to our kids, to our loved ones when they come to us with a problem. So when a friend comes to me with an issue and they increasingly do, um, especially after they found that I wrote a book on this topic, it's like, yeah, I get well, calls. you're getting very skillful <laughs> about it. You're saying I have, can I offer I've got something? Some, I've got some chops like now, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. Um, a relative of mine is a, is a physician and gets called up uh, from everyone in, in, in the community about, you know, everything from like a, a scratch on their knee to more serious medical issues. Like they have a second job when they come home from work. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I always thought to myself, you know, I don't have to worry about that, but, um, but it's actually quite fun to, to, to help folks um, about these things. That, that is why I think why we're both in this space. The take home though, is this, we're in a better position to be good advisors to others because I've got a game plan. I know what to do when someone comes to me. I'm not just listening and, and empathizing. I'm doing that. Plus, I'm also trying to help that other person reframe and 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 move on to something else. Um, so, so you're, so you're think, describing like perspective taking, which I think is really interesting because that's also a, an aspect of self-awareness, right. Of mindfulness is to be able to kind of like be able to see not just this, you know, awareness in general, right. Like awareness is not only awareness of the present moment, but awareness of how maybe the past is feeding into it and awareness of all these, you know, there's a, a huge umbrella right to that. And that you, in our relationships, you talked about sort of two ways, like t- all the two sort of sets of tools, people, tools, and solo tools. When these people tools were saying, you know, we can offer this perspective, that's but, right. but you also say like, that's also one of the tools you offer for one of the solo tools too, right. Is to just like jump into this perspective ourselves. Like we can do this for ourselves as well. That's right. So here's how this all makes sense to me. Um, when we experience chatter, we zoom in really narrowly on the issues that we're perseverating on like tunnel vision. All we can think about is this one issue that's consuming us um, we're not thinking about the bigger picture. And what's interesting about that is usually when you step back and look at the bigger picture, when you broaden your perspective, you can use your flexible mind to identify solutions to your problems. Like there usually are solutions when you broaden your perspective. So one category of tools that you can use on your own are what we call these perspective broadening tools. And there are lots of ways to do that. Lots of ways to, to get distance from your problems and to think about them more objectively. Uh, just to rattle off a few, hmm. you can use language to help you distance. We know that we're, people are much better at giving advice to other people than taking their own advice. And um, one of the things we can do is you can engage in a strategy called distanced self-talk. So use your name and the second person pronoun you to try to coach yourself through a problem. All right, Ethan, how... How are you going to handle this situation? We're so much better at advising other people. What distant self-talk does, it uses language to get us to, to relate to ourselves like we were talking to another person. Like most of the time when we think about our own life, we think about I, me, my, how am I feeling? What are my, we virtually never use our own name. Names are what we used to think about and refer to other people. And so the idea is when you use your own name to try to work through a problem, it 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 makes it, it it thrusts you into this coaching mode. Like you're now giving advice to your best friend. Mm. It turns out we're much better able to do that when we're experiencing chatter than we are to just advise ourselves. So kind use your like own name. A gear shift, right? To do that. Some t- occasionally I used to do that. Like if I was having a, a dinner party with like some friends, and I would say Hunter or something. Exactly. <laughs> it's like hilarious. It well, would just know, come it, out. <laughs> There's a lot of there's research which looks at when people when do people spontaneously do that, Uh and turns out they do it when they're trying to regulate or control themselves in some way. So Mm -hmm. we spontaneously shift into using. All right, Ethan, what are you going to do? But now that you know how this works, you don't have to wait to do it. You Mm. can do it proactively. So that's the first thing I do when I find chatter beginning to brew. I start coaching myself silently. You do want to do this silently, not out loud while walking down city streets. Mm-hmm. You don't want to refer to yourself using your name in that context. But uh, Ethan, you know, how are you going to manage this? I'll, I'll start giving myself advice. Then I'll do another broadening tool. Um, I'll use another broadening tool called 
mental time travel. So I'll think about how am I going to feel about this a month from now or six months from now. This is something I do whenever I, I, you know, I occasionally will wake up at 2 a.m. once a month with this kind of like terrifying chatter about something. Mm. And when that happens, it can, because your brain is basically sleeping at that, it can be hard to muster tools to get out of that funk. And this is something that many people experience. The moment that happens, I'll just remind myself, you're going to feel better about this when you wake up in the morning. Mm. And that instantly takes the edge off and lets me go back to bed. What happens when we, transport ourselves in time in our mind. When I say, how am I going to feel about this problem, you know, six months from now, what that does is it makes it clear to me that whatever I'm experiencing, it will in all likelihood get better because most things do. And that gives me hope. And that hope can be a powerful way of broadening our perspective too. Um, so that's another kind of tool, but you know, there, there are close to a dozen others that I talk about. Um, the key is this ability to step back broaden our perspective and look at things more objectively, which we often just can't do when we're mired in chatter uh, on our own, but lots of different ways of, of helping people do that. I like these because it's kind of like shifting gears and, and sort of pulling yourself out of the gear. You know, you, you one of the tools you offer is imagine yourself advising a friend and that overlaps a lot with the, you know, the research on self-compassion, right? That Kristen Neff and David Germer teach and that I teach in mindful parenting, that piece about, you know, how would you talk to yourself? How would you talk to a good friend who's going through this recently had to, I was in a, an intense moment where I had to use this. I was at, I was at children's hospital, Philadelphia with my daughter, who's been suffering with a, an intense, uh, diagnosis recently. And so we were so lucky to like, kind of get this appointment We've driven up and, you know, we had been waiting for like four weeks and get there. And, um, and we got there and, and I got to the front desk and this lady was the person at the front desk. I said, Oh, did you call and tell the doctors you were going to be late? I said, late. I'm right on time for my 10 o'clock appointment. She said it was at nine o'clock. And I was like, no, you know, and it was totally my fault felt so awful, but so I really had to, you know, I felt it intensely. I had really effed it up, you know, big time. And I had to shift into that piece about advising a friend, talking to myself as if it was, I was a good friend, you know, like, and, and I was very conscious about it. It was like a, if it really did feel like shifting gears. Yeah. I mean, I've used that metaphor too. I think it's very much, these are shifters. These are ways of like, you know, when we get locked into this, these emotional states, these states of perseveration, what you want to do is find ways of shifting out of those harmful states into more adaptive ones. Can we talk about one of the tools? I know we have like, we, that I think is uh, really interesting. You have tool number 11 is clutch a lucky charm or embrace a superstition, which I think mm -hmm. is amazing because I've. I find like, I have a little, I have a little, uh, token that says lucky on it and it has an elephant. Right. And I have this like little token and just shifting into, because I know that shifting in that mindset helps me, but tell me about this, this tool. I was like, even, and, and you say, even if you don't believe in supernatural forces, you can still benefit from this. I was like, phew. <laughs> yeah. Th th this is, um, you know, this, this is an ancient chatter fighting tool, if you will. And um, I think it's a, it's a tool that many people stumble on in, in their lives. Uh, I, one of my favorite examples of this is I was on vacation several years ago in, in Mexico and my wife and I vi um, visited this small village and we, these vendors selling these arts and crafts things. And they had these like tiny little dolls, um, like, you know, a few inches. And I oh. asked the woman what they were. They were worry, worry dolls. dolls. That's yes. right. And so the idea is you take one of these little dolls and you put it under your pillow and it takes your worries away. And I gave it to one of my kids when we came back. Um, and you know, and those have been around those worry dolls for a long, long time. What we know from lots of research is that if you believe that something is going to make you feel better, uh, in many cases, 
simply having that belief or mindset, you use that phrase, is sufficient for bringing that outcome to fruition. And so there's a lot of research on what we call, you know, placebos, placebo mm-hmm. effects, which you may have talked about. Uh, I'm not sure if you talked about them at your show, but what a placebo is, is you, you basically give people an inert substance. You give them a sugar pill, but you, you tell them, hey, um, take this. It's going to make you feel better. It's going to reduce your anxiety. It's going to make you less sad. And re- research shows that if people believe that that's going to happen, that the mind starts in initiating that process to bring that outcome to fruition. So how the heck does that Amazing. actually work? Well, the brain is a prediction machine. So our brain is constantly trying to figure out what's going to happen next, right? So, you know, like think about like, how do you get from one end of your house to another? How do you determine like how how high to lift your leg, or if your kid's toys are in front of you, how to navigate over them. Your brain is making predictions before you take that step Mm -hmm. over how far you have to go. So it's making predictions about everything, including your emotional states. And it's using every bit of information available to it to inform those predictions. And so if a trusted source, a doctor tells you wearing a white coat, trust me, take this, it's going to make you feel better. And you believe that that's going to happen. The research shows that that actually does happen in many cases. So that's how lucky charms can be helpful. This, um, it's so interesting, <laughs> like just these, these processes and you're just tapping into our natural ability and, and what kind of everything you're describing is just almost like being a, it's like the owner, good owner of our brain, right? Like, a yeah, good, totally. <laughs> like what the user's manual for this. And, and these are things that, that really, I think sort of should be taught in schools to, to help people. Um, and you have, a, you have advice for people for, to help kids with their mindset, tell your kids to pretend they're a superhero. Um, and, and that helps them kind of like distance themselves from a, a situation if they're having difficulty, right? Yeah, there's a there's a finding. Um, it's called the Batman effect, and and the idea here is when your kid is struggling with big emotions, you know, trying to finish their homework or whatnot. One tool you could try with them is um, ask them to pretend they're a superhero, and then to to kind of give themselves advice and coach them through that situation in that superhero alter ego identity. So mm-hmm. I'll often tell my daughters, pretend you're Wonder Woman. And they're, would Wonder Woman give up right now? And why don't you pretend you're Wonder Woman and, and, and you know, try to finish it up. Okay. And, you know, they muscle through the task as a result. And what, what's happening there is we're doing two things. We're giving people, the kids, some distance from their emotions by having them assume a different identity. But then we're, they're also assuming an identity of someone who's really good at managing difficulty, like superheroes don't give up when times are tough. Um, you know, I'll often say to my daughter, who's, who's, um, I guess a tween now, amazing how time flies. I might say to her, like, you know, what, what would mom or dad do? Imagine you're me. Like I'll often say this to her when Mm -hmm. she's contemplating doing dangerous things. Like, just ask yourself, what would daddy do in this situation? And so that's another way of broadening their perspective, getting them to shift. You know, one point that I want to definitely make sure I get in before before we wrap up is there's no single tool that I know of that works for all people in all situations. Uh, The advice that I have for people, if they're interested in these tools, is to read about, learn about the tools. A lot of complex science went into identifying them, but most of these tools are really easy to try out. Um, So inform yourself. And then start self-experimenting, start trying, Hey, I just tried this. Did it help me? Yeah. Then keep doing it, you know, layer in another tool as well. See if you get additional bang for your buck. If a tool doesn't work for you, well, don't use it and move on to something else. I think having that kind of flexibility can be really helpful for folks. I I love that advice. You you must feel like a, a, a mind a mind chat. You must feel like, like sort of the Zen master of your mind chatter now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wish, um, I I can say that, uh, you know, I definitely still experience chatter times, but I am really good at nipping it in the bud when it's Mm -hmm. elicited. So I don't think I will ever live a life as you said, without any chatter. I don't know (laughs) if that's actually possible to be honest. Um, maybe, you know, anything's possible, I suppose, but, but 
I do think that if you have these tools, they really, they, they shorten the amount of time that you get stuck in those states. And the more we can help shorten the time people spend in chatter, um, the better off I think uh, we'll all be as a society. Thank you so much, Ethan. I've enjoyed this so much. You guys get his book, Chatter, and so many tools, as you've heard. Also, we we didn't get to talk about nearly all of them. So, so check check it out. It's uh, it's really fascinating. I think we need this, right? We need to be able to um, be the more the you know the driver, right? Then <laughs> rather than there's a there's sort of like the the elephant versus the driver mm-hmm. metaphor mm-hmm. that is sometimes used like can we can we actually steer the elephant we want to be able to have some steering capacity for the elephant of our minds um and this is a great book to help you do that so chatter great book so thank you so much for coming on and sharing your time sharing all this research and and thoughtfulness that went into this with us. I think it really is um, impactful in a lot of ways. So I appreciate it so much. Where can people find, uh, share their ahas with you or or find out more about what you're doing? Uh, Well, first of all, thanks. Thanks for having me for a really, really fun conversation. I really, uh, as a parent, I I genuinely appreciate what you're doing. And, um, you know, I think if we could help ourselves and our kids and our partners, (laughs) that that's really important. Um, because chatter chatter permeates the the house at times. Um, so, if folks want to learn more, they could go to my website www.ethancross with a k dot com, and there's info about about the book, um, the research that went into it, and lots of other um, fun things, downloads, and so forth. Awesome! Thank you so much, Ethan. Thanks for having me. What a useful conversation that is, right? Like this is so important. I have used this information, talking to myself in the third person, and it's incredibly helpful. So, so good. So listen, if you love this episode, please do me a favor, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me in it, at mentor. And you know, then you might as well follow me there and I'll fill your feed with some nice mindful parenting inspiration. And I'm just wishing you a great week. I hope that you get to enjoy your children, you get to rest and have ease and peace and get to to do some things that are just for you, that just for you love, that to fill your, your soul and your heart so then you can return to everyone you love just even more shining full of life. And then we can spread that light around. That's the beautiful thing about it. I'm wishing you a great week, my friend. Thanks so much for listening. Namaste. I say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You will be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. 
This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.